You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Whenever you're listening to this and wherever you're at, I hope you're having a great day. Well, if you at all use Beckett.com, you will know our guest. He is one of the most prolific hobby writers out there. He writes most of the reviews for pretty much any new product that comes out, and so most people are going to be familiar with him. He also is known for having a lot of knowledge on entertainment content, and he is Ryan Cracknell. And we are going to hear from him in our interview today in a minute right after this break. Starstock is a new trading card marketplace which is preparing to go live in April. Their goal is to be a faster and cheaper solution to sell cards, and they're looking for sellers who want to be some of the first to have their cards available for sale at launch. I'm going to be testing the platform with my own submission. They're offering a 5% sales commission with no other submission or processing fees. You send in your cards and they do all the work. Cards are insured and stored in a vault and you can have your cards shipped to you at any time. You'll be able to buy, store, or flip cards at the push of a button. If you're interested in learning more about getting involved as a seller and getting your cards onto the site for launch, contact Mike Kuchera via email at mike at starstock.com. They're looking for sellers who have rookie and prospect cards of current players for the major sports. For more details, contact Mike Kuchera at mike at starstock.com or go to www.starstock.com. All right, welcome back from that break. Today, we've got Ryan Cracknell joining us, and he is a collector of sports. He is a collector of non-sports. He is Canadian, and he is also the hobby editor at Beckett. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. You know, I've been reading your stuff for uh, several years now, and um, so I, w- I thought it would be great to have a chance to talk with you a little bit about what it's like producing content and writing in the hobby on hobby topics, and, and you've kind of made a career of that. But before we get to that, you know, I'd love to know, first of all, how and when did you start collecting? Uh, yeah, I think it's the typical thing, at least for a lot of people my age. I was, uh, you know, kid growing up in the 80s and cards were at the corner store cards were at the grocery store they were like 25 cents so they fit in my allowance and that's what i chose to spend my money on uh i think if i talk like think back to the first set that i really remember like buying packs of was et uh back in like 82 and you know, there was kind of a break there around the late 80s when Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux were all the rage in hockey. I kind of got into the Panini sticker books, which got me into that mentality of building sets, filling pages, going after pack after pack. And within a year or two, it just kind of morphed into cards. And, uh, you know, I haven't really stopped totally since. There have been a couple breaks, uh, very short ones or at least like drawbacks, but I've always been collecting so growing up in the 80s what was collecting like in Canada I mean clearly you know there were two baseball teams at the time yep. 
Hockey, obviously, was something that was very prominent. Uh, you talked about buying ET packs, but but what was collecting like in the 80s? Were there were there challenges that came with being in Canada uh, as opposed to the U.S. and the sports that went there? Not, not it, when I first started, not really. It was all about accessibility. Like you would just kind of go to the store and if there were cards there, you'd buy them. Um, and then if there weren't, you know, you just waited till the next season and moved on. We did some at school with the garbage pail kids. There was a lot of trading and like showing them off there. But I, th I think the big thing for me was a lot of it was just taking it kind of not necessarily for granted, but it just was what it was. So all everything that I collected was was Opeachy because that was all that I had the access to. And sure. um, it wasn't until a few years later when, you know, kind of the world opened up and and cards were starting to explode that I knew about tops, but all these other companies, they were kind of exotic because we couldn't find them up here. And, you know, I would gladly trade my Opeachy something with a friend at school who went down to the States and had the tops version. Would I now? Probably not in most instances, but it was, it, it was simple. You know, we just bought packs and we chewed gum and we played with our cards. And I, I think that's a universal thing, no matter what, whether you're north of the border, south of the border, it just said Opeachy on the back and we had French and English mixed together. And that's just the way it was. Yeah, I'd say there was probably some some similarities um, growing up at the same time. Whenever we would come across an Opeachy card or a leaf like the original leaf stuff yes. from the 80s, um, that was exotic to us, you know, because all yeah. we had was the tops and Donruss and Fleer. You know, and so when we had those Canadian releases or when we'd come across somebody who had gone on vacation up to Canada and bought a few packs and come back with with some of those, um, that was always something really special for us as well. Today, though, you know, are there some more challenges that that come with it today? Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, like, number one, the, the cards that exist up here for the most part now, uh, it's like 90 percent hockey. And I don't hate hockey. I just don't. I, I'm not a huge fan um and the way that i'm trying to collect now i'm just trying to be really direct in what i buy hockey just doesn't fit into that right now so it, it's trickier uh the big thing now is shipping like shipping's ridiculous mm -hmm. it, it is what it is i can't complain it just has changed how i collect you know 20 years ago or i guess 25 years ago now when ebay first started you know, shipping a card to and from Canada to the U.S. was reasonable. I could still work on sets. Trading commons wasn't a big deal. Now it's like $8 for me to ship anything up here and, and up. So that's that's the big challenge. It's definitely changed how I collect. I used to trade all the time. Now I, like, never do just because it's so expensive to do it and sometimes unreliable and I'm not buying as much extra stuff anymore, but also when I buy stuff, it's through places where I can combine shipping. So like ComC, I can build up, like sure. hold it for a few months and then send it up and they have their Canadian warehouse. So that's easy on the Beckett marketplace. I'll kind of go in and do like one big batch uh, with Burbank or someone else on there uh, so that I can get shipping. I also, get things shipped to the home office in Dallas uh, whenever I buy something from Tops because it's like 10 bucks to ship 
a $10 item up here. So it's that's not affordable. So I get things shipped down there and once every year, year and a half, I'll you know get a whole bunch of packages when I have a meeting or a show or something like that. Um, just sure. where I connect with the people that I work with. So shipping, I would say, is the biggest challenge now. You know, stuff is out there. I can still buy things. But eBay eBay is a very rare thing now. It's only when I'm looking at something that's a little bit higher ticket because the international shipping program, I get why they do it. I get why sellers like it. It's easy. Uh, but for us, it's like $20 and up for shipping, even when wow. it's like a $2 car. So where I used to focus on a lot of lower end things, finishing sets, which I still do, that's definitely getting scaled back. And as I get older and run out of space in my house and, you know, come up with my own mortality, I don't want my wife and kids to have to deal with uh, with mountains of stuff as well. Should should something untimely happen is sure. weird and grim as that sounds. It's it's a reality. Um so, yeah. Do you have much of a community of local collectors in your area? Uh, not, not that I know of. Uh, they, they're out here. Like, I'm part of a Facebook group, uh, but they're primarily hockey, hockey-driven. So okay. I don't really connect with them. Um, I, I'm sure if I tried more, I could. Uh, but time and, you know, the, the big thing now for me is I just, I just get what I want. Like, instead yeah. of I, – I still like to open packs – but now it's more of a sample thing. One of the other things that you have a reputation for is your knowledge and interest in entertainment and non-sports. And I, okay. I was just curious about how how that developed. Uh, I think it goes back to the very beginning with ET. You know that I when I was younger, we didn't have a lot of money. You know that's that's part of my story was. We didn't have a VCR until I was older, and even then, getting hold of movies was trickier. So you would go see it in the theater, and then like a year would pass before you could see it on video, uh, but then you had to go rent the VCR, and then rent the movie again, and everything else. So for me, the earliest part for like entertainment cards was that was how I could re-see that movie, was you know by going through the cards and seeing my favorite moments, and stuff like that. Uh, today, you know, it's evolved like everything else. I would say that still exists because I still have a fondness. My favorite era for entertainment is like the 60s through the late 80s. Um, but with the newer stuff, it's the variety that it brings. You know, with, with baseball, I like a lot of the different designs and everything else, but there's some monotony. You know, seeing as an Expos collector, it's the same Expos every year that, that I see you know, for autographs and everything else. So it's, I, I won't say it gets boring, but I'm not as gung-ho about things. Like even last year with with archives, with the Expo set, I was kind of, once I saw the list, I'm like, that's a lot of the same names I've seen over the last five years. But with entertainment, you know, you get different actors, you get different TV shows, you know, autograph signers. I have, I like to build like little mini sets of a show that I like that might not have cards. But the actors have autographs in different sets over the years, stuff like that. There's just, I would say variety is, is the big thing that uh, that attracts me to that side. It's every set is different for the most part. You know, Star Wars, I would say, is more like a, a sports license with the number of sets that come out every year. But yeah, variety. Let's talk a little bit about um, writing. 
So you are sure. currently at Beckett, but you've also written for Cardboard Connection, and I believe you even wrote movie reviews for a while at Rotten Tomatoes, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, my yes, well, not for Rotten Tomatoes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go back even further when when I first got the internet would have been like my last year of high school, so 95, 96. I started my own like GeoCity site. And that yeah. was primarily, you know, going back to the whole Canadian collecting baseball thing. It started out as I'm going to post my extra stuff on here and the things that I'm looking for. And that was a facilitator for a lot of my trading. Um, so I called it Trader Cracks, which was because I like to trade and my last name's Cracknell. It's got nothing to do with drugs. It's got nothing to do with like <laughs> computer hacks and, uh, you know, all these weird emails that I get from it. So it started at GeoCities, but then I moved to my own site and uh, like tradercracks.com, which I still have, but I haven't put anything up in years. And so I was writing about cards and I was going to university doing a writing degree. So the natural extension to that was to try and get a bit of freelance work. So I connected with a magazine uh, called Canadian Sports Collector and, you know, pitched an article, got it in became a monthly contributor there, uh, did some freelancing for non-sport updates. I even did a Beckett article like back in 2003, but I just, I just kind of kept at it and, you know, life changed. I got into teaching instead of writing. So it took a bit of a backseat and, but I still kept up with my own site a little bit, kind of like a blogging kind of thing, just random thoughts and everything else. And after a few years of teaching, I just, I needed a break. The school that I was at, they came up to me. They're like, you want to teach next year? We got a job for you. And I declined them because I was, my kids were getting older. And no matter what I do, I admit I'm a workaholic. So I just needed a break from, from teaching. And I was going to work from home and figure some freelance thing out. And that's where my previous job literally came up the next day. And it kind of grew from there. And I spent a few years at my last job and Beckett going on five years now. So it's kind of, it, it's one of those things that literally when people talk about turning their hobby into their career, that's what it's been for me for the last, like in a month, it'll be been a decade. So that's kind of, it's kind of where it's at and it's evolved. And yeah, I did the, I did the film review things, um, for a couple different sites, my own site. And that was just a way to see free movies. I would have a mysterious guy drop DVDs off on my doorstep every week. And, uh, back when I started around 2000, DVDs were actually worth money. So he'd get the promotional copies. I would sell them for 20 bucks a piece us when our Canadian dollar was like 50%. So it'd be like 30 bucks for me. And Freshly married, still in school. It was some extra cash that uh, that got us through. So there you go. Well, you've been writing for a decade, so you must enjoy it. You know, what is it that you enjoy so much about writing? I don't know. Um, I, the, the creation side is cool. Um, I, I like learning. I think that's a big thing in what I do, and what drives me every day is I just want to be a sponge and learn more and kind of communicate that um, to other collectors. I think a big thing for writing is the things that interest you probably interest other people. Mm -hmm. So because I'm you know blessed to be able to have as a career, 
I have that time that I can go out and create something that other people can find useful as well. Um, so I'm trying to create things that I believe would be useful for myself as well as for other people. There's variety some of the times. I would say after 10 years, it's get it's getting harder sometimes. Um, you know, when you're writing a preview for the same set that you've been writing a preview for for 10 years that hasn't changed, I, I won't say it's the most creative uh, stuff that that I've ever done. But but I try, and and again, it comes back to who's your audience and what are you trying to communicate. And you know, I wouldn't say that I'm trying to write award-winning pieces every single day. I do, I want to write things that are helpful for people. So it's knowing your audience and in what you're trying to communicate and in uh, going that way. And, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll freely admit I'll just get self-indulgent and have fun with it. And I think people recognize that, too, when I do those sorts of pieces and variety is good. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, you know, it seems like, you know, the if you're going to summarize a lot of the, the articles you write, they either kind of fall in the set review that give the basic stats and the the you know what a set's gonna look like type of thing or they're the story slash themed articles and it definitely would seem like from the the from what you were describing that the second group there is where a little more of your creativity has a chance to to flow through for sure you know that's where you know if it's a lot of times I like to do thinking in the shower, like you're just kind of there washing your hair and an idea will pop into your head and an afternoon will come along and you're like, you know what, I got a bit of time or I'm just going to run with, I just feel inspired. The coffee hit me the right way. I don't know. And you just run with something and those can be some of the easiest things to write, but also I think some of the most rewarding sometimes. I, I like to think introspective. Like I think collecting as a whole, it's it's an escape for me in a lot of ways, and it always has been. And being able to communicate some of those ideas sometimes it's 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 therapeutic for myself. And I also think that if I can clearly communicate that for other people, it can help them out as well. I think that's it, it's part of a community thing, right? We we have shared experiences and shared interests and even if we don't we're not exactly the same we can relate and i like those sorts of things are there you know as we were talking or as you were kind of answering that uh, it got me thinking a little bit are there specific content strategies or content mixes that you have worked out at beckett as as far as we know we need to cover we need to cover all of the new releases that come out but we also want x percent of our content to be more of that theme or or general topical based narratives you know that type of thing is, is that at all part of the intentional strategy or is it just a byproduct of you know how things flow based on the different um, writers i would say there's a lot of jazz going on it's kind of I, th there's priorities timeliness, everything else, um, certain things you just kind of got to do as they come at you. I would love to say that when I wake up in the morning, I have my day all planned out. And that's totally not the case. You know, some days, some days it's like that, you know, you have kind of this idea or something came up late and you're just like, I need to go make dinner now. And mm -hmm. it's just going to have to wait till the morning. 
I, I would like to say that there's a magic number and a magic percentage, uh, but a lot of it is just more like a, a jigsaw puzzle or actually I would say more stacking wood because when you stack wood, you need to make sure that things fit in the right spot and, you know, you got to keep your foundation strong and it's going to fall over. So you just kind of fit things in where you can. And, and I would love to say that those shower ideas come to me every single day, uh, but they don't. So you kind of got to, the inspiration has to hit you as well, I, I think. And, and I think to come up with a big idea every day, I, I don't know if that can be done. I, it can, but it, it gets hard, at least for me sure. sometimes. So yeah, I would say it just kind of as things come up and a lot of times I'll probably have like 10 different articles on the go and it's kind of like, oh, maybe I should finish this one today. And then you just kind of, you make it happen. It's, I would say there's also a risk factor as well. When you do something different, you don't know how people are going to react. Yep. And when you've got a lot on your plate, dedicating that time to, to uncertainty can sometimes come back and bite you. So it's, it's, yeah, I don't yeah. know. There's no magic to what I do. It, maybe there should be. And maybe if, if someone above me listens to this, I'll get in trouble for saying that, <laughs> but it's priorities, right? Like for, for your own show you have, and for your own site, you have the things that you're focusing most on. And that's where you're going to put, you know, the majority of your priorities. Yep. Um, and yeah, no percentage. That's okay. the short answer. You know, the print industry continues to mature, but digitally we're kind of in an era where everyone has an opportunity to write mm -hmm. and to share their yep. story. Uh, I was curious if you had any advice for writers who are looking to get into the industry. You know, like you said, you started doing some freelance stuff and, and gradually developed your skills and abilities and turned that into a, a permanent position. Um, any advice that you've got for new writers who are looking to get into to writing about cards? I, number one is do it. Like whatever, whatever you're interested in, whatever you want to do, just do it. Like that's that's where you have to start is is be selfish, be self-centered, write for yourself and just get it up there. It's you can literally do it for no cost if you want to. Uh, I, I would recommend that would be my second piece of advice is if you're going to start a site, um, you know, pay for that web hosting or um, WordPress platform so that you have your own site, but just get out there and do it, experiment with it, have fun with it, make content that you enjoy making that you find helpful and ask why you're doing it as well. Um, if it's to help people, then focus it kind of that way. If it's to entertain people, go that way. Uh, don't limit yourself, you know, try new things, um, see what works. A big thing I would say is look at how you're doing. Look at those metrics, uh, the Google Analytics, the number of people coming to your site, if that's important to you. If it's not important to you, then just keep doing what you're doing. And if you're having fun with it, there's there's nothing wrong with it. I would say there's no risk or very, very minimal, you know, what's web hosting, the you can get web hosting for the price of a box of cards for a year now. Right. You know, I, I think that's that's minimal and you can do it for free. 
Like if you're really just doing it for yourself, you, you can, you know, there's the WordPress platform. I think Blogger or Blogspot is still out there. But the number one thing is just do it. Uh, number two or three, I think I've gone off on a couple tangents, would be connect with people. Um, that's the beauty of the collecting world that we're in is there are probably a dozen platforms that you can connect with other collectors and talk with them. Um, whether, you know, for me, mine of choice is Twitter. I, I like the written side of it mixed with the word side. Uh, I see a lot of people going to Instagram, YouTube, Facebook groups, Facebook itself, and getting people that get in touch with people that you like their stuff and just kind of chat with them and, you know, go bounce ideas off of them. And I think there's a very supportive community out there. You know, I can see from yourself, we, we haven't, this is our first time actually chatting in person, but I, I would think that if either one of us came to each other, you know, we're there to chat and to listen. And there's dozens of us out there, any content creator, podcasts, everything, you know, it's that, that's what makes us a community. And I think that's the exciting side of it is we all have voices and the vast majority of us want us all to succeed. And to help each other out. And, you know, we, we love cards. We love creating stuff. And, you know, it, it's helping each other out. It's being good people. Yeah, I think, you know, I, what you said there, I think, is so true, especially as somebody's getting started, is is connecting with fellow content creators in the hobby. And as I got started writing a couple of years ago, reaching out to folks like you and and dub mentality and Ken Kinsley and asking for feedback is, Hey, I, I'm new at this. You know, can you take a look at this, this article or this post? Let me know what you think, you know, what's good about this. What could I continue to work on? And I was, I don't know if amazed is the right word, but I was so encouraged when so many people were willing to take a few minutes and share their thoughts and their feedback with me. And that really helped me personally grow as a as a writer and as a as a content creator so i think you're right how have you seen social media start to impact the hobby writing and and publishing industry oh that's a tough one i think it changes how we we get information now it is is one of it uh one part of it is you know we can before you would have to if we even go back further like 20 years you would have to wait for like a monthly magazine, you know, when the Beckett came out or the tough stuff or, you know, the, the baseball card magazine. So it was the lead time was very long. A month back then seemed like nothing, whereas today, you know, it, it's instantaneous. Not only do we get that information um, through social media, we're talking about it instantly. Mm -hmm. So we see a picture and we're chatting all day, you know, about whatever that picture is. We're getting feedback. We're arguing. You know, I, I think there's uh, there there's some more confrontation with it now. I think we're we're filling in gaps is probably the biggest one that I see, or at least for me personally. When I first started collecting, me and all my friends collected. 
So that's what we would talk about when we hung out and, you know, we played baseball and we're, you know, we're trying to recreate a picture on a card when we're playing out in the field or, you know, whatever. Those days have changed. You know, I'm happily proud of, you know, that, that I'm a collector still. And uh, there just aren't many of us around locally anymore. And mm-hmm. we're at different places in lives with families and everything else. So social media, you know, it gives me that playground that I can go and chat with other collectors and, you know, seek advice and, you know, just scrolling through and looking at pictures of what other people are excited about. You know, I, that's yeah. that's one thing that I, I really enjoy about the community is even when it's something that doesn't necessarily interest me, if you're excited about it, I'm going to be happy for you. You know, social media does that. That's, I think, the coolest thing is is it lets us do it instantly and it lets us connect and discuss instantly. So speaking of what interests you, are there any particular collecting projects that you're working on right now that you're actively pursuing? Uh, too many, <laughs> too, too uh, many. I would say is the big thing. Even like I, I'm refining so much like over the last 10 years especially over the last three years, I've just been refining, 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 refining. Uh, Probably the biggest area of my efforts right now is my Expos collection, uh, which is, I focus primarily on just base team sets, you know, inserts, autographs, parallels. That's like a black hole for me that could never end. It's unattainable. It's not affordable so that's probably the biggest part but even that i'm kind of getting to a point where it's a lot of the harder stuff to find sets is another big thing i probably have a couple hundred different baseball non-sport sets a few basketball that i'm working on i've taken a few off recently because i've realized they've sat in boxes for five years and i've never looked at them or even thought about them that was just the going to Walmart, buying random packs, and, oh, I've got enough packs, I might as well make a, a want list now. And I've just kind of, I've lost interest in that. Things that make me smile, you know, just random cards that, that are weird and fun and and cool. Sorry, my wife's heading to work here, so I'm just going <laughs> to see you later. My John Jaha collection. That one, I can't even, I'm to the point now where it's not done officially because there's things on my want list still, but it's like literally only one of a kind things and a checklist for a marble and some things that may or may not exist. So I've really pretty much even before I would go to eBay, like the 12 times a day, just looking at that search to see what I could find. And I've pretty much exhausted that now, but you know, it's still in the back of my mind. But I, th- I think as collectors, we want the chase. Although we want to finish something, when we do finish it, there's kind of a bit of a letdown because the chase is gone. And so I kind of like having those couple gaps. It's like the unicorn is out there, but I almost don't want to find it because when it's done, it's like, what, do you, what then? Especially with the John Jaha collection. What am I going to do with the John Jaha collection when, when it's done? And uh, I, there's no one. Back in 2000, 2001, there was actually someone else who, who was collecting John Jaha. And we got stupid on eBay um, some of the times with stuff. He had a personal connection to him. 
And I was just like, screw it. There's not much that I need left. And this is what interests me. So I'm going to, we were playing, we were paying superstar prices for, for John Jaha. But <laughs> that was, I, I enjoyed it. And that was part of the chase and that was part of the fun. So, and whatever it was, 2000 Pacific Prison, that set was disgusting. It, it was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's one of those ones that has all these different patterns in the background, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like tech and, uh, you know, the the original Rainbow Parallel, but it was like raindrops and all these really weird names that made no sense at all. And you couldn't really describe the pattern. So anytime a single card popped up on eBay, we were we were fighting it. I definitely think there's a lot of people where the the process is part of the fun, right? And, and yes. you want that chase because that chase adds as much satisfaction and enjoyment as the cards themselves or the toys themselves or whatever it is that that you're trying to collect. And so I definitely get that because, you know, for a lot of people, I think the process is is part of the fun. So, you know, I just want to say thanks again for taking a few minutes to come on and, and talk collecting and talking content creation. I really appreciate that. Um, if people want to follow along with your work and they're not already doing so, what's the the best place for people to find what you're putting out and to um, follow you specifically? For the stuff that I write, Beckett.com backslash news uh, is where you know we're gonna find you're gonna find stuff uh, Monday to Friday every day. Um, if you just want to connect, uh, Twitter is definitely the place where you're gonna find me, and that's at Trader Cracks C R A C K S as uh, weird as it sounds, you know, some of those maybe early internet regrets, but you just embrace, embrace what you chose. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful I didn't put numbers at the end or anything else. And uh, so, yeah, at Trader Cracks. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks again, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Ryan for joining me. Give him a follow on Twitter at Trader Cracks if you're not already following him and check out his work at Beckett.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the Mike Summer, and you can send me your thoughts on this um, podcast today there at Twitter or at my email, waxpackhero at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd also love it if you gave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. I would appreciate that. I also want to encourage you to check out Hobby Hotline. It's the live call-in show that we do every Saturday morning at uh, 8 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern, where you get a chance to call in and talk with several of us podcasters about whatever hobby question is on your mind. Uh, Thanks again for listening. That's all I've got for you today, and I'll catch you next time.